The Polish writer, Czesław Milos, who lived under Hitler and Stalin, he says about his public and private life that he has experienced great tragedy and great suffering. And he says that much of his life has been lived on the scream's edge. He's lived much of his life on the scream's edge. We all know what that place is like to live in a world that we do not control, where so much of it does not make sense, where things are not the way they are supposed to be, a world where suddenly so, something so terrible can happen that instead of just being on the scream's edge, you enter into the scream itself. There are times in our lives that we find ourselves on the scream's edge. And you see, this morning, this is where we meet the prophet Habakkuk. And in fact, the whole theme of the book of Habakkuk, which is really a short book, just three chapters, the whole theme is how Habakkuk moves from the scream's edge into the open spaces of praise. There is this movement that occurs, and yet it all begins at the edge of the scream. Habakkuk wrote this book, we think around the year 600-605 B.C. He's writing in Jerusalem. And what we need to know is that at this time, there were two major powers in the Middle East. The Assyrians, who were waning in their power at this time. And then you have the Babylonians, who are rising in power. At this point, all that is left of Israel is the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had been conquered by Assyria about 140 years before. So you have the southern kingdom centered around Jerusalem, and you call this Judah. So Judah and Jerusalem, they find themselves in this very perilous world. And what Habakkuk tells us is that it's not just that Judah is being threatened by these external forces, but that internally the nation is um, out of joint. Things are not good in Jerusalem and in Judah. The, the society itself is falling apart. And so Habakkuk, he begins his book with a lament. He laments all the injustice and the violence that he sees around him in Jerusalem. And so this is how he begins. And I'm going to stick fairly closely to the text today, so you might want to read with me. But he begins this way. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Things are not good in Jerusalem. And then he says in verse 4, So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The law becomes slack. That word slack, it means uh, numb. 
uh, frozen, paralyzed. In other words, the people, according to Habakkuk, they are no longer gripped by God's ways or by God's law. Rather, they are uh, driven by the desires of the groin or the cravings of the billfold or the lust of fame and pleasure. The law becomes slack. There is no moral compass. They do whatever they desire. And so the prophet, he cries out to God and he says, God, how long do I have to take this? How long do I need to look on the wickedness of your people? How long do I need to cry violence and you do not save? So that's the lament. That is the cry of Habakkuk. Now, this, this, this cry from Habakkuk, it, it doesn't really come from a place of anger. I mean, there's probably some anger there, but, but mostly it's bafflement. I remember in, in the book Lament for a Son, uh, the author, Nick Walterstorff, he's talking about the death of his son. And he, he says sometimes people ask him, are you angry with God? angry because of your son's death. And Nick responds, no, not angry, just, just baffled. I mean, it's like I thought I knew her, but then she did this. I, I, I just don't understand it. I, I, I thought I knew him, but now he's not doing this. I don't understand how this can be. I'm just baffled by it. And so this lament from Habakkuk, this, this grief, this complaint, it arises not out of doubt, but out of faith. It's faith being blindsided. This makes no sense, God, that you would allow this stuff to happen. Why don't you do something about this suffering and injustice that's occurring among your people? That's, that's the lament. Now, what follows, what follows the lament from Habakkuk is really quite amazing because God answers Habakkuk and God says to him, you must not think that I am sitting on the sidelines. I am at work, but you do not see it. And this picks up at verse 5. And one of the reasons why this passage is hard is it doesn't tell us who is talking in this dialogue, but God picks up in verse 5. And he says, Look at the nations and see. Be astonished, be astounded, for a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. And so what is the work that God is doing? He says, For I am rousing the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that fierce and impetuous nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And, and so what God is saying to Habakkuk is he's saying, I am not inactive. Instead, I am rousing the Babylonians to punish the wickedness of Judah. This, this wickedness that you're lamenting about, the Babylonians will punishment, judgment is coming for your people. 
Now, there, there is something here that is really quite arresting. You know, you and I, we tend to see God in the gentle breeze. The prophets see God there, but they also see God in the storm. We see God in health. The prophets see God in sickness. We see God in abundance. They see him in, in scarcity. And when I'm talking about this, I, I, I hesitate because we are treading where angels fear to tread. And I want to say right away that, that we can't draw some straight line from suffering to sin. Job taught us that. And, and Jesus himself in John 9 says about the blind man, you shouldn't ask if this man sinned or his parents. Uh, th there's none of that. And, and I know that. It's, it's very dangerous. But there is a conviction in the prophets, and it is a, a wonderful one, that we live in an open universe and that deep within reality, deep within it, there is the work of God. That God is not inactive. God is not a simple spectator. I am at work. Be astonished. Be astounded, he says. But of course, the difficult thing for Habakkuk at this point is, of course, the method that God is using. The method. Habakkuk says in verse, verse 13, he says, Your eyes are too pure to behold evil, and you cannot look on wrongdoing. Why do you look on the treacherous and are silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than they? Right? God, you are using the Babylonians, people who are rotten to the core, to punish those who are not as bad. The medicine is worse than the sickness. This makes no sense at all, Habakkuk says. And so again, he is baffled. He's baffled, first of all, that God would allow this suffering among his people. But then second of all, he is baffled by God's response. And so how does Habakkuk respond to his own bafflement? And here, I think we can learn something from Habakkuk. Because he doesn't understand what is happening. And so what he does is he says with humility, and this is the beginning of chapter 2, he says, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart, I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. There are times, and you know this, there, there are times when you are so baffled, when God seems to be so absent, when things are not making sense, that the only thing you can do is wait. Now, I think our tendency or my tendency in these situations when, when we are so baffled is we try to act, we try to do something, but sometimes we must just wait. T.S. Eliot in, in Ash Wednesday, he has this wonderful line. He says, teach us to sit still. Teach us to sit still. And not, and not passively, not 
resigning yourself to the hell that is around you. Not that at all, but teach us to sit still so that we might hear what God has to say to us, right? to be anticipating some glimmer of hope, some sign that God is at work and that it will be all right in the end. When I was thinking about this, this waiting, I was, I was thinking about a camera and the shutter speed of a camera. You know, when the lens of a camera opens, the shutter speed dictates the amount of light that enters the camera so that when you're taking a picture in a dark place, you want a very slow shutter speed so that more light can enter that will brighten your photo. And you see, that's how we must be with God. The shutter speed of our souls must be very slow. We must keep ourselves wide open, especially in our times of confusion, so that we might be sensitive to the glory of God that fills the earth, and yet that we often do not see. That we might have some inkling of the hand of God. And that's what Habakkuk says. He says, I will keep watch. I do not understand what's going on, God, but like a watchman, I will sit still and I'll look attentively to how you are working in this situation. Now, this brings us to the last section of our passage. And here, God speaks one more time to Habakkuk. As Habakkuk waits for the Lord, God speaks, and God says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it, for there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God's timing is not our timing. He says, my, my purposes will be fulfilled. Just be patient. Just wait. And then God speaks this verse. It's the last verse of our reading, which was picked up by Paul and became one of the most important verses in the New Testament. Martin Luther made this verse the very center of the Reformation, the end of this verse. When God says, Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. The idea is that in the midst of our struggles and our bafflement, we either respond with pride or with faith. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them. Uh, as I read this verse, I wondered what that might describe. The proud. And I was thinking that we, we are all, each one of us, gifted in different ways, right? And to be gifted is, is an asset. It's a wonderful thing. So you may be gifted with a really fine mind. Or you may be gifted with power. Or you may be gifted with money. 
And with a really fine mind, you can think deeply. And with a lot of power, you can serve widely. And with a good deal of money, you can be radically generous. These are, these are wonderful things. But what often happens when we have these assets, these gifts, is we often become self-inflated. We become puffed up, and we turn our backs on God. And we say, well, well if we can't figure it out, it's, it's nonsense. There's a certain pride that comes with our gifts. And so I don't know what your gifts are, but we must remember there, there is always the danger that they can turn into liabilities. They can make us proud, puffed up, so that our spirits become sick within. And so instead of this pride that, that causes our spirits not to be right in us, God says the righteous live by their faith. And to live by faith it means to live with trust, a, a dependence, a, a clinging to God. If pride is, is trusting in ourselves, then, then faith is trusting in God. It means you, you believe His promises and you, and you live accordingly. So if God says in the end, because of Christ all will be all right, well, you believe it. And you live according to that. If God promises you that you are righteous in Christ, well, well, you believe it. And you live accordingly. You don't get shackled to the shame of something you did in the past. If God promises that in Christ you are a redeemed child of God, well, well you believe it. And you live accordingly. You don't try to be someone by your own accomplishments. If God promises through Christ that he has prepared a place for you, well, you believe it. And you spend your life preparing yourself for this place prepared for you. Can we trust God? Do we trust God? That's the question. And it's in our moments of bafflement that we can see if we are truly trusting him or if we're just playing religious games. You see, the, praf, the prophet Habakkuk, he, he becomes convicted in this book that God is trustworthy. And so in the end of this little book, he makes one of the great statements of faith. In this statement, it describes someone who has left the scream's edge and moved into the open spaces of praise. And this is it. It'll pop up on your screen. This is the last few verses of the book. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, in other words, though my circumstances are barren, dire, and desperate, yet, and that, that word yet is the great defiant cry of faith, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and makes me tread upon the heights. What Habakkuk teaches us is that if we are to move 
from the scream's edge and to the wide open spaces of praise, we must learn and acquire the habit of trusting in God as we wait for what He has promised us. Amen.